Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm Christine Reeve, and I'm your host, and I'm going to start with some examples this week. Brett was a student who had a meltdown in the classroom seemingly out of the blue one day. Turns out he was extremely upset because another student was absent. Now, he'd never played with or interacted much with the other student, but he was upset because there was one less student in the classroom. Not having that child checking in on the Who's Here board ended up tanking his whole day, and it took us half the day to realize what the problem even was. DeAndre was working quietly on his math at his desk in his second grade class when suddenly he started tearing at his paper with his eraser. He ripped up his paper, he got up, and he threw it away, and then he sat down and he started the assignment over. When a second grade teacher asked what happened, he said he made a mistake. Amanda seemed happy as could be when she walked into the classroom on Tuesday morning, but she started screaming when she got to morning meeting. Turns out she was upset because the teacher was taking some time to plan in the classroom while the aide was running morning meeting that day. The teacher usually ran morning meeting. Amanda took most of the morning to recover from the upset of having a different person run the morning meeting. And then there was Kai, who had an amazing day at school, only to have it fall apart at the end. Kai's mom got stuck in traffic and was five minutes late to pick him up. And his day ended in a tantrum in which we had to carry him to the car. Do any of these students sound familiar to you? They are all conglomerates of students that I have met over the years, but they are all very real and all very typical of many of the students that I've worked with, particularly those in general education with autism spectrum disorder. And their reactions and how we can help them are what I want to talk about this week. And I have a freebie for you in the blog post, and you can find that and a transcript and some examples of the strategies in the blog post at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 66. And if you're looking for more ideas for addressing challenging behavior in your classroom, you may want to check out the free webinar on preventing challenging behavior. I'll put that link in the show notes, and you can also find it in the blog post as well. And of course, we have a whole course on behavioral problem solving in the Special Educator Academy as well. So come try a free seven-day trial at specialeducatoracademy.com. Now, let's get started. In last week's episode, I talked about students with ASD who overreact to the smallest of events, often involving change or small problems. I typically call it catastrophic reactions to trivial events. Often these students melt down, but sometimes they also just shut down or give up. And the significance is that they overreact to events that are not in line with their reactions. Each one of these cases that I just described was an example of an overreaction to something that doesn't really seem like a big deal. But to the student, it clearly felt like a big deal. 
and they didn't know how to handle it. So in this week's episode, I'm talking about how we can help those students to regulate their reactions to those events in life that seem trivial to us, but feel like the end of the world to them. It's important to recognize that these are events that we might be seeing more of when there are events in the students' lives that are increasing overall anxiety, like when I'm recording this, COVID-19, and changes in the way that they are going to school. At these times, we may see more difficulty with problems that seem even more trivial to us. In the best of all possible worlds, we would expect changes that would upset students and we could prepare for them. That doesn't always mean that we would not have the change, because after all, our students have to learn how to tolerate change to live in this world. If 2020 taught us nothing, (laughs) I think we all learned that. But we can teach our students to handle change if we know that a change will be a problem. So the first strategy is to use visuals. I know you won't find that terribly surprising. Sometimes we can prepare the student right before a change occurs if we know about it beforehand. For instance, if we know there's going to be a change in the schedule, we can give them a heads up. One way to do that is to make sure that the student's schedule reflects the change. That might mean just sending the adult over to change out the visuals on the student's schedule with the new event or to change it when he's at the schedule and tell him about the change at that time, because we don't always know ahead of time to prepare him. It's important to remember, though, that don't think that visual schedules make students really rigid. We can use the visuals to teach our students to be more flexible. And I've actually written a whole blog post about that in the past, and you'll find that in the blog post for this episode. A variation on this is to use what I call a change board or change notes. A change board can be used to show a change in the whole classroom schedule. So I use it for students on picture schedules so it shows what was originally scheduled scheduled, and then what it was changed to. And you can actually grab a free change board in the resource library, and you can find a picture of it in the blog post. Similarly, you can use a note for students who read. So it might say, speech will be changed today because Miss Rosemary has a meeting. The new time is two o'clock this afternoon. You could use a similar strategy for changes in staff or substitutes or for changes on who will be running different activities. So for instance, for Amanda, who was upset because a different person ran morning meeting, a change board could let her know ahead of time, which might have given her some time to adjust. And if that wasn't enough time for her to adapt, some of the next strategies might be helpful as well. The second strategy is to use social narratives. Social narratives are sometimes referred to as social stories, and they're a way of helping students know what to expect about upcoming situations, the perspectives of those around them, the social expectations of others, and more. Social narratives can be helpful in helping students learn to manage situations that might trigger catastrophic reactions. For instance, if we know that Kai gets upset whenever he might have to wait for someone who is late, That's not something we can predict. You know, we can't predict that his mom got caught in traffic, so we can't, you know, prepare him for that every time it happens. But we could write a social narrative about what it means to wait 
when someone is late, why someone might be running late, and how it eventually will probably work out okay. And we could include coping strategies to things to do while waiting for somebody to pick him up and coping strategies about how to stay calm. And then we could read that social narrative before it's time for dismissal and before the event could possibly happen. And we could practice the coping strategies while we're waiting to stay calm. So we could do that when we're not upset so that he has those strategies when we're getting to a point where he's starting to get upset. For DeAndre, who got upset because he made a mistake, we might have a social story talking about how writing the wrong number down is just a small mistake. And the social narrative could share strategies for fixing the mistake calmly and quietly so that he could continue working. The great thing about social narratives is that while they're typically best used in combination with other tools, they're great at introducing strategies that can be used and concepts to be taught. And they're really helpful in allowing students to sometimes see a different perspective on a problem, particularly for our higher functioning students. A third strategy is to teach self-regulation visually. Our students with autism often do better visually than auditorily. There are tons of ways that you can teach students to self-regulate, and I'll talk a bit more about them in future episodes. But the one that stands out here as being most helpful is to use a five-point scale, focusing on whether it's a big problem or a small problem. Sometimes we call this a size of the problem scale. This can be a useful tool for students who overreact to the problem and make a big problem out of a small problem. This is actually one we've been using a lot recently with my sister. Um, So is the iPad not charging a big problem or a small problem? Is it something that we need to cry and have it ruin our whole day? Or is it something that we can solve? So this is a good teaching tool for these students to learn over time and help them learn to stop and think and regulate their reaction. So for instance, this might be a good strategy for Brett and for DeAndre, but for Brett to work on when thinking about the issue that upset them. It would be a good strategy for when they first start to get upset or after they de-escalated to look back and debrief about the problem. In reality, we would use a combination of these strategies in most situations. For Brett, for example, after we learned that students being absent was a trigger or a problem for him, we created a social narrative for that issue. We reviewed it at times that he was calm, and then we talked about it in the context of big and small problems, and we pointed him to the scale when we talked about it so that he learned to rate how he would feel about it and where it fell on that scale. Then we use that scale the next time someone was absent to practice in the real life situation. And if we knew that someone would be absent, we would give him a heads up with a change board or a visual, and we would practice some calming down strategies. As with any kind of behavioral support, it's always going to be a combination of prevention strategies and longer-term teaching strategies. And I've got some examples of those, links of posts to those in the blog post as well. But once we have an understanding of the reactions and the events that trigger them, then we can start to help students understand and learn how to manage those reactions. To help with that, if you have a student who struggles with making mistakes like DeAndre, 
then you might like my I Can Handle Making Mistakes toolkit that's designed for students just like him. And make sure that you grab your free change board from the free resource library, and you can grab the link to both of those at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 66. And I've got a link to the free Preventing Challenging Behavior workshop in the blog post as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts about working with these kinds of students. And if you're an educator, hop over to our free Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com, answer the three questions, and we will definitely let you in and share your thoughts. In the meantime, I will be back next week with a new episode. And as always, thank you so much for everything you do for your students. Mm -hmm.